Hi, you're listening to We Just Like to Talk. I'm your host, Becky. I'm Cara. This is a podcast for easy listening about hard subjects. And today's guest is... Lauren Spavelko. So many things. I don't know where to start. You are a composer, musician, visual artist, singer, music teacher. Uh, you get up to so much. I am in awe of you. Uh, but I guess, Becky, I, I would say Lauren is like one of my OG friends. <laughs> um, I've known you since sometime in the middle of high school. Yeah, like age 15-ish. Right? So Ooh, that's... you guys are going way back. Yeah, so Lauren and I met, I think we originally met through DeviantArt, which yes. was a, a, kind of like a social networking site for art, like visual art and writing and stuff Ooh. back before we had social networks. And then we just, we started talking on AOL Instant Messenger. Oh my God. <laughs> In the old days of the internet, right? Uh, like just these lengthy text-based chats back and forth. And then mm -hmm. uh, in my first year of university, Lauren was like, hey, do you want to come visit me in Ohio? Um, that's <laughs> why I always call you Lauren from Ohio when I'm talking about you to my other friends. And, you know, that was that was back in the day when it was still a little bit weird to like just go visit somebody you know online and, you know, like we had obviously done video chats and stuff, but Lauren could have been a serial killer. I could have been a serial killer. Like, okay, right. I was going to ask, like, you guys had, yeah, you guys had seen each other's face because I was like, did you send pictures we of each we other? Had. Okay, video. Yeah, we had, That's we had done some video. My, um, yeah, well, and my parents thought this was a little strange too. They're like, wait, like you're, you're summoning a stranger from the internet to come stay with us for two weeks. And I was like, no, no, no we're friends. I promise. Yeah. And I'm like, I've, I've like, I've seen her face. In two weeks. That's right. like a, that's a lengthy time, two weeks. And that was really like my first time traveling by myself. Like that was a whole experience. Kara oh. was so brave. International travel to the exotic land of Ohio. So Lauren, um, how would you describe yourself? You know, I just kind of rattled off all the various things you do because you do a lot. You know, what? how are you describing yourself these days? Usually when I sort of meet people professionally, I, I lead first by telling them I'm a composer because that's something I am doing more of and it's it's an important piece of my career, but it's also like a visibility thing. I, I there are still not that many people, women uh, composing music and we're working on that. So I want to be uh, a model in that regard. And then I usually tell people that I am a, uh, a music teacher and entrepreneur because I run my own music studio. And outside of that, like a creative, and I actually heard a new term recently that I would like to adopt called multi-passionate. And 
you know, I've, I've often said, like, I have diverging interests that I feel like really feed and reinforce each other. Like what? Like the visual art. You know, I wanted to be a mm -hmm. children's book illustrator before I was ever a musician. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, I do, I do perform. I, I sing and I play piano and violin. And as a singer, I have done classical productions. I did a lot of opera in my undergraduate and graduate studies and some musical theater. And I've done commercial productions too. I spent a couple of years after my undergrad uh, touring with sort of a family band, um, this artist named Taichi, her husband, Matthew Cameron, and their three boys. I was the boys' road school teacher uh, for a couple years. So I, I organized their curriculum and taught them on the road. And then we would do concerts at night. So I helped with concert logistics, learned how to run sound, did a lot of sales. Um, I was performing, doing backup vocals and solo violin. Yeah, it's it's been a very varied, very interesting career for me so far. <laughs> it's almost like ask like we should have asked like what don't you do because I feel like you do so much. Like it sounds like it really invigorates you though, right? It, it does. And again, because I consider myself a a divergent thinker and a you know, that's how my creativity expresses is, you know, something that I am learning or exploring as a performer affects what I'm doing as a teacher or a composer or, you know, vice versa. They, they all feed each other. But I would say creative types who are maybe more of a specialist, sometimes when they look at artists like me, they think they think we're distracted. And I think mm. it's just a different it's just a different manifestation of creativity and, and how we engage with that. So I like this new, um, I recently met a, a theater director up at Interlochen Arts Camp, who herself is describing uh, herself as a multi-passionate person. And I really liked that label. I felt like it fit us pretty well. And she, yeah, that, yeah. that reminds me of a TED talk I watched called uh, Why Some of Us Don't Have One True Calling, which mm. um, Emily Watt, Emily Wapnick use that, uses that term, but they call it multi-potential lights. Mm. It's a very, very similar idea, I think. I like that. I haven't heard that podcast. I'll have to look that one up. I mean, I would love to hear more about like the challenges that you've seen women like yourself face, uh, whether it comes to like classical composition or even just like the world of performing music. What have you seen? So... I would say as a, a composer, you know, the idea of myself as being a minority because I'm a woman in the composition world, it was sort of shocking when that came into my awareness. And, and I sort of remember a specific moment when that happened. I was starting my graduate degree in composition at the University of Louisville, and we have a class called a uh, seminar. So all of the undergraduate and graduate students meet once a week and we listen to new music. Sometimes we have guests and we study scores and you, you have the whole composition program together in one room. And at that point there were 30, 30 students in the program. And I walked into the seminar uh, and looked around the room and my first, I mean, one of the first thoughts I had was, gosh, where are all the women? Wow. There, Because there were 30 men and three women. 
And Whoa. that surprises me. I would expect that in like a tech kind of thing, yeah. right? Right. But not in something artistic. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was particularly shocking to me, I think, because my bachelor's degree was in music education um, and education already tends to be a little bit more female dominated. Um, Mm -hmm. And my major instrument was voice. And that particularly has a lot of women. We tend to always have an abundance of women singers and not as many men. So Mm If anything, I had been in a lot of like women dominated spaces. And so then to like sort of walk into this room, I was like, wow, this is a a new feeling. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it sort of made me wonder and question. Like I, I asked myself after that, I said, well, okay, like I've had 15 years of formal music training and I have a bachelor's degree in music education. How many women composers do I know? And I could come up with, like, maybe 10. Right. And considering you studied that, like, that's probably not that much. Right. You know, I mean, when you think about, like, you know, in in those years of study, like, I I mean, I play three instruments. You know, Mm -hmm. I played a lot of music in private study and in orchestras and choirs. You know, I had done a degree in music education to teach others how to how to do music. And I didn't know hardly any women that were, that would consider themselves composers. And, you know, when I thought about what a woman creating music looked like, really the first thing that sort of popped into my head is we associate them with songwriting, you know, like, um, I mean, there, there are many, many women artists that are writing songs. Right. But a lot less that are writing what what we I mean, it has different labels. Sometimes we call it like concert music, things you would go to a concert hall to hear, like things for chamber music or wind, you know, wind ensemble, choir, orchestra, those those types of like classical new music. I couldn't think of women writing those. And the I, I came to realize that that was that was pretty representative in the field, that sort of like 10 percent that I was seeing happened it, it it appeared in multiple places like the University of Louisville houses a very prestigious award um, in composition called the Grawmeyer Award when somebody applies for the Grawmeyer Award they keep all of those scores they become part of the collection at the university and I had asked the librarian at one point I said are you able to tell me how many of the works in the Grawmeyer collection are by women and he he did that analysis and he said it's about 10%. Oof. Wow. Yeah. And why do you think less women go like are classical composers? Um I think part of it has been they've they've been historically excluded, you know, so have composers of color. They're just not programs. I mean, classical music is is um you know, when we talk about classical music, we're usually talking about music that came out of the European tradition and specifically the Western European tradition, it's a lot of uh, white men. And this is what our, um, our big ensembles compose. And, you know, historically women were discouraged from composing as they have, they were discouraged from many types of careers. Um, So it's, it's something that I think there, 
there wasn't a lot of opportunity for. Mm -hmm. And then now I think there's a certain amount of modeling, you know, it's, do I see somebody like myself doing that thing? You know, does it make it seem like it's possible for me to do that? And uh, that's, that's what I was sort of lacking. And I'm surprised in some ways that I got as far as I did, Um, you know, to actually studying, doing a graduate degree in composition, um, because I hadn't had that kind of a model. And even some of the conversations that I think were had with some of my male peers that were in composition were not had with me. Like it wasn't a professor that encouraged me to study a master's degree. It were it was my peers that were in the program and knew that I was composing and thought what I what I was making was interesting and worthy. And uh, you know, it was their encouragement that really got me to sort of pursue that path because it wasn't something that I thought would be such a feature of my career as it is now. And so it's a it's a big goal of mine to, you know, write music for all ages. And again, this is where I think like that multi-passionate piece comes into play. You know, I teach all ages. My, my youngest kids are five and I teach all the way up through adults. Um, I teach different levels beginning through professional. And I think, you know, it's very worthy to be um, active in my community, to be visible, to be writing music, not just for professionals, but also for our kids, because then they get to see as part of their musical diet, oh, there's somebody maybe that looks like me that makes these things. And maybe I can write those things too. I think just speaking from my perspective as somebody who's not in that scene, it's like we don't talk enough about, you know, people who compose music, whether it's music for a score for a movie or music that you hear um, in like a video game or an app on your phone, right? Like Commercial. Yeah, like we forget mm-hmm. that like music is not just oh, here's a piece that somebody's going to sit down and perform in a concert hall. It's like music is everywhere in our world and people mm-hmm. have to write it. Somebody has to do that. But then you think about even in the spaces where that is a little bit more visible. You know, I'm thinking for something like the Academy Awards. It's like, well, who mm. are the composers who get all those, you know, awards for movie or TV scores? It's like John Williams or whatever. Like it's all these older white guys. Sure. Yeah. Now you have... A composer friend who's got a project, like a diversity project, going to to work on that kind of thing, though, right? Yes. So um, my friend Rob Deemer, he uh, is the head of composition at Fredonia, which is part of the SUNY system. He has helped to start a an organization called the Institute for Composer Diversity, and. Uh, it's really grown over the last five years. It's pretty remarkable to watch their work and their analysis um, because they really wanted to show hard numbers. So they've they've done a really great job of anal- analysis and providing new resources. Okay, so speaking of passions, uh, you know, you know, you've mentioned that you're multi-passionate, but is there like a creative endeavor you haven't tried, but you've like you have it in your horizons or you're planning on trying it? 
I, I have a few sort of passion projects that I'm working on. Ooh. So one of them, I, I love writing vocal music because I sing. And I wrote a really special collection uh, during my graduate program called Baby Book. It's a song cycle about miscarriage, pregnancy, and motherhood. And that has been like an incredible work and it's, it's sparked other projects. And I have just been really humbled by all of the, the hands that have touched it. Um, but it, it also it adapted like, into Italian, right? Yes. We set a couple of the songs into Italian because, That's um, so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's been performed in Italy and I actually, there's, there's a Damn. recording of me on YouTube. I sang it in Italian. Um, in wow. Italian. <laughs> wait, wait, in Italian. So like you, you sang it in Italian and you were in Italy? Yes. So Okay. That's that's like too cool. <laughs> we'll put a link to that video in the show notes. So if people want to check out Lauren singing in Italian. Um, but yeah, so so what are you looking to try now, either musically or otherwise? It's kind of like a creative thing where you're like, oh, I've never done this before, but I want to do this. Yeah. So I want to do some new things with voice and I've, I have written some more songs. I I did a really cool, fun collection of five songs this spring setting poetry by Edna St. Vincent Millay. And one of my collaborators, Jessica Spafford, who has sung my pieces before, um, she has us in the very, very early stages of making a Christmas opera that will be in English Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so sorry, when you say Christmas opera, are you talking like nativity or just more like general Christmas vibes? Yeah. So we sort of want it to, to check a few boxes. Um, we want it to be one act. So about 45 minutes. We want it to be um, in, in English and we want it to feature a lot of women because we always just have a lot of women singers. And so it's really right. nice to give them something wonderful to program. It's going to be tangentially related to the nativity story, but we don't know what the libretto will look like yet. I have a librettist that I'm working with what? on that. Sorry, so slow down. What yeah. is libretto? Oh, libretto is the story. It's the text that is set gotcha. to music. Okay, yeah. so it's not a type of pasta. No. Libretto <laughs> only. <Well, that's> <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're kind of a big deal in <laughs> the music scene here now. We're realizing Rebecca are like, oh, oof, she's been to Italy and everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would you say to, to people who are like, I just don't think I can make it in the arts? I think you have to be flexible about what a career in the arts could look like. And for some people, it it, it really could be like, something very dedicated in in the area that they studied for example my my partner uh is a symphony musician and has been for 15 years so you know that is his primary vocation for some it's a blend of what we would sort of call a bread and butter job so maybe they have something that supports them um that is not in their field i have friends that uh you know, are work in software or tech and, or some of them work in um, just different corporates doing project managing. Uh, and, and some people like me, we do multiple things within the arts field. Um, so 
for me, the bulk of my living is made in my studio uh, teaching and composition is a piece of that pie that is growing. Uh, and I also have one class that I teach at the college that I really like for musical theater. So I think it's just exploring what options are available to you and what kind of career you're interested in cultivating and what um, what kind of people you want to work with. I really like that answer because it's not just like a one size fits all, you know, like you didn't yeah. say like, absolutely. Like if you go into the arts full time, you're going to mm-hmm. make it, you have to be dedicated, et cetera, et cetera. It was like, yeah, if you see yourself doing that, but sometimes even within the arts, you could do different things. Sometimes it's more of like a side hustle. Sometimes it's like within your corporate job somehow. So yeah, I really like that. It's so important to hear advice that, yes, it it should inspire us, obviously, but it should also be realistic, right? I hate it when people are like, just follow your dreams, just chase them and you'll be fine. (laughs) You know, I don't want somebody to be like, it's going to be a slog and you're going to hate it all the time. But like, yeah, right. right? I, I want somebody who throws in just enough realism to their advice to help me recognize the good opportunities when they come my way. Because if you're just if your advice is too inspirational or too general, then people feel like a failure if they end up having to, quote unquote, settle for something else. But you're not settling. You know, you're finding what works for you. And that's not compromise. That's just, uh, you know, making life. your life work out. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like uh, Becky and I are really working through that ourselves with our freelancing journey and how we're sort of evaluating where we're at with our careers. And it's like, we know we can make it, but it's not going to be this thing where we wake up one day and suddenly we've got, you know, 50 people knocking on our door waiting to work with us. Yeah. It's almost like this idea that people have of like one day you're going to wake up and, you know, your purpose is going to make sense or whatever, but it's almost like you have to cultivate that, do a couple things that you realize you don't really want to be doing. And then you know, just just try things out because you never know until you try things out. Yeah. Have you tried anything, Lauren, like musically or creative wise where you're just like, no, that really isn't for me? I I will say I attempted to sort of like do different things that I thought were going to work and didn't. <laughs> like, an example. Yeah. Well, so like, for example, when I came out of my bachelor's degree in music education, um, you know, what my training was in and really what the message was, was you now get to go be a public school teacher. That's what we trained you to do. I remember that. I graduated in 2011 and the job market didn't look great, um, particularly for music. And I, I will say I have applied to public school teaching jobs. Um, you know, I was doing that for several years and I only ever had one interview in spite of being like a phenomenal musician. And really like, if you care about credential things, like I was like top of my class and very decorated and all this stuff, but that did not help me at all. And I was, I, I was not successful at getting a public school teaching job and super depressed about that for a while and also like okay this is the thing i was supposed to be doing right so what am i going to do now and uh it was it was really tough my my mentor her name is joellen really helped me sort of move into a different 
uh, space. So she said, I was substitute teaching instead at that time, um, just to be working. And she said, you know, you could do studio, like you have the skills to be a private teacher if that's what you want. And Joellen had been running a studio of her own for many years. Um, so she helped me get a job teaching out of a storefront initially. And I had sort of felt like, oh, I trained to do this job and I can't get it. And so I failed, right? It was like, no, actually, like, I have a bunch of skills here and I could use them in a different way than just the path that was set before me. Oof, I relate to that so much. <laughs> Uh, yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> Being in psychology. Yeah, tell, well, tell me about one of yours. Like, what, what is the vibe? Well, definitely going into psychology, it's really pushed to be a clinical psychologist. Like, they don't really talk about, like, organizational psychology or like, counseling psychology. Like, that's a little bit frowned upon mm -hmm. or just, like, not really talked about as much. And so they're really pushing this idea, like, you have to go, you know, the full length, get your PhD, become registered. And so there was like a period of time, maybe like two years after I graduated, that I was like applying for my master's. But my whole excuse was basically to get out of Thunder Bay. And then I really was just like, okay, well, I don't really want to become a psychologist. And that's going to be a really long time and really expensive because there's just so many hoops you have to jump through. So I'm like, why don't I just move instead and then go from there? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she landed me into copywriting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just good. having the same kind of, you know, experience as a teacher myself, right? Where it's like, well, I, I did end up getting a job as a teacher and I do enjoy that job in some capacities. But as I've talked about previously on this show, like, you know, I'm just kind of reevaluating everything, especially with the past couple of years. And I, I definitely relate to that feeling of having to reframe it because it does suck. And I understand what you're saying, where it's like you, you get yourself into this pit almost. You got to dig yourself out and then be like, you know what? I do have skills and I can I can make something of myself by golly. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Yeah, Kara, I, I support you doing the freelance copy editing because I have definitely benefited from your writing skills myself over the years. You, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I want to go back for a second. You mentioned that your current partner is in the symphony? Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, like, you know, when you're, like, on the hunt for a partner or, like, when you're in the dating scene, is that something that you really value as someone who's creative? Oh, gosh. Uh, for me, absolutely. Like I wanted somebody who who could appreciate the arts uh, and music like they didn't necessarily have to be a musician themselves, but I, I wanted them mm -hmm. to be able to connect with me in an area that I spend a lot of my time mm -hmm. and and just to value and appreciate what it is that I'm working on and understand, you know, some of the struggles and the lifestyle, right? Right. You do a lot of traveling and you have periods where you're just so absorbed in what you're doing that maybe you're a little less available. Yes, absolutely. So this is the first time I've actually dated another professional musician and mm. I frankly love it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
Yeah, I mean, he's wonderful. Uh, he's he's a he's a marvelous human being, and it makes me really happy. And we have a lot of fun together. But there's also a lot of things that are just really complementary. You know, we're in the same field, so we we do get what sort of a lifestyle looks like. I'm really excited. He plays oboe, so one of my other That's like cool. little passion projects that I'm working on. He introduced me to a. a set of songs that I didn't know, actually. They're by Rafe Vaughn Williams. They're called the 10 Blake songs. So he set 10 Blake poems um, for voice and oboe, which is an unusual combination. But that's what we do. I'm a singer and he is an oboist. So I was like, oh, super cool. So I'm going to learn these songs and we can perform them together. And I'm also going to write a new set that'll be for voice and oboe and we can perform those too. <laughs> so Lauren, one of the things that you have done uh, more recently in your career, I would say, is you've started your own music studio for teaching students. You've mentioned that earlier. So what challenges have you faced as an entrepreneur when it comes to establishing your own studio? I think initially teaching a private studio, it, I had to think about, you know, how I wanted to teach. Like if I wanted to be a solo teacher, if I wanted to teach in a store like commercial space and work with other teachers and uh, I, I've done both of those things. I really like running my own studio. I'm fortunate to be able to have a space to do that out of my home. And, uh, but I have also previously like taught private lessons at a space that I rented. Like I worked, I taught lessons out of a church for a while. So yeah, I think just setting up the, the facility, like that was a piece of it. I also really like thinking about what type of clientele I want to serve. And yeah, my studio, I think sort of our, our ethic that I really like, I, I named my studio Musical Life because my philosophy is that music can be part of your life at any age. Because uh, I hear a lot of adults that are like, oh, I wish I had played or whatever. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're still kicking. Like you can learn now. <laughs> Yeah, not dead. That's how I feel, right? Like, as you know, Lauren, I have been trying to relearn piano this summer, and it's not going very well because I am so lazy and I have not been practicing. Sorry, teacher. Uh, which was also my problem the last time I was playing piano. So this is not a surprise. But, um, you know, now that I've started, I feel like I will get there. I will, it may take me longer, but I will get there. And I agree, right? It's like, whether you're picking up an instrument that you tried in your youth and then kind of fell off the wagon like I did, or if you've never played an instrument before, right? It's never too late to start. Absolutely. No, but I think it's just like a good reminder for anything that you want to learn, really, like whether it's, you know, an, a sport or a language or musical instrument, like you were saying, you're never too old, like might be a little harder because when you're young, your mind is like a sponge and you know, body memory, whatever, but sure. you can still learn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can still learn. And, you know, I've had students that started an instrument and they're in their 60s or 70s and they've never played. And wow. it's I also really think that shows fun. what a good teacher you are. 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, they yeah. keep coming back. I, I love, yeah. I love so like it. from a business perspective, mm-hmm. you know, was it difficult setting up your studio in terms of like figuring, figuring out what am I going to charge for lessons or, you know, the whole, especially during COVID, like the online uh, lesson kind of thing, or, you know, have you had moments of doubt where you're like, I don't know if I can make this viable for myself? Sure. I, I was pretty, I will say about the viability aspect, I was pretty committed to making it work. Like I had seen, I had lots of good models for people that were being successful. I'll say this too, with, with business and freelance, I think sometimes people think like you have to be doing the most original thing in the world for it to like be successful. Like teaching music lessons is not an, a unique idea, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, what I can, maybe what I'm offering is a little bit different than what some of my colleagues are offering, you know, and I, I'm very much of a collaborative mindset too. I think that, you know, if you are going to work solo as, as I very much do, I think it's super valuable to be connected with your professional community. Yeah. That's the sense I'm getting from you as you talk about this is it sounds like you've really plugged yourself into this community of teachers and musicians and composers and orchestras. And it's just, I love hearing that from you because I think that's so important is having these people, these peers that you can talk to and work with. Yeah, thanks. I well, and like to to go back to what your one of your other questions was, well, h- how about like setting prices or things? You know, we talk to each other. We say, you know, what are you charging? Have you tried this? You know, I mean, so that we can all be supportive and honest like you know, this is what you can expect. This is what the market will support, you know, and I've even seen colleagues actually, you know, say like they'll, they'll do this sort of polling and they'll say to somebody, you're way undercharging. Like you really should raise your rate, you know? Mm -hmm. And that that's not, that's beneficial of course, to that individual, but also really to the, to the profession as a whole, I feel, you know, it's, it's valuing an, an art and a craft that we're, we're sharing. And also something that another freelancing friend told me was like for charging is that if everyone is saying yes to you, you're undercharging. If everyone is saying no, you're overcharging. If you get a mixture, you're like probably in a nice sweet sweet spot. Sometimes I actually like to do this if I want to test a rate, you know, rather than raising things for existing clients right away. I will only offer the rate that I want to charge to new students. So like Mm. as a test, because if they agree to it, then it shows me that the market will support it. And then I, I will charge that rate to my new clients for a year. And then I will tell my existing clients, hey, you guys have been getting a discount for a year. The rate's going to go up. That's a nice violin you got there. Shame if anything were to happen to it. <laughs> you don't want it to get all dusty now, do you? <laughs> yeah, I think too, you guys are talking about like pricing. Have you guys seen that triangle that's like good, fast, and cheap? Pick two. <gasps> yeah, I think so. That was circulating at some point. Yeah. So, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of true, right? Like you're very rarely going to get all three, right? Good, fast, cheap. Um, And I think too, as, as far as pricing and valuing, you know, your service, sometimes with a client, for me, it's been about educating them about what they're paying for. Yeah. That I have to do that a lot in, in editing because people come to me with 
various ideas of what editors actually do, especially when it comes to copy editing, which is a specific part of the editing process. And I have to do that education and be like, yeah, like you could probably find somebody who's going to be cheaper, but they're going to be doing more proofreading than actual editing for you. Right. Right. And Becky, I imagine it's much the same for you with copywriting. Well, it's just astounding to me, like how many people just don't know what a copywriter is. They're like, what? They're like, what is a copywriter? (laughs) And I'm like, it's writing for like marketing and stuff I've written, like legal. Right. That's like what they... Yeah, that's like it get it does get confused with that a lot. But what I like to say is, you know, copywriting is writing for marketing and advertising purposes. That's like the simplest of explanations I can nice. give. But yeah, absolutely. Like they and I think people just think like, you know, they devalue writing. They're like, oh, writing's easy. But I'm like, okay, then you try it. Right. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see how good you are. <laughs> I I have to say in the same vein too, like, Mm -hmm. I wish you could have seen my old website because Kara saw my old website. (laughs) And it was bad. Like I am, I am a good visual artist, but visual art and graphic design are not the same skill sets. Two different things. Yep. (laughs) I wish I could have seen it. I was going to compliment you actually on your current website because I was exploring it. I'm like, wow, this looks so professional. Thank you. you. You don't have like an overwhelming amount of text. You have like your work, like you have samples within your website. I was actually, it's, it's funny because I was actually listening to one of your samples and like Cara phoned me like midway and I was like, guess what I'm listening to right now? <laughs> Lauren's piece. I think it was called The Grit or something. Oh yeah. Grit yeah. is a fun piece. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. Thanks. I love it. Yeah. yeah. What what did you think of the vibe? Like very like strong, and I was like, "Ooh, I feel like I'm, I'm feel like I feel like I'm at like an orchestra. Like I feel like I'm there, like at the theater, you know." Yeah. I well, I'm I'm so glad you liked it. I always I've always liked the energy in that piece and grit. I wrote in that year when I was having all of my failures as a public school teacher. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it was like a piece, it, you know, I, I didn't have a composing career yet. I was writing it for myself because it gave me something interesting mm. to do. And it's only been in the last few years, I sort of just had some fans, you know, like I had some string teachers that were like, this music is really cool. Like it should be played. And I, I have now really great opportunities um, for string quartets and string orchestras to play that work. And just a few weeks ago, I actually got it published. So what? Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, so now I'm just really excited that these, you know, high school and college groups can play my piece and, and that they like it. And um, it's exciting to them and, and yeah, it's just out in the world for people to enjoy. I love that you've like, you turned your frustration into fuel. <laughs> I think that's really cool. I think like I'm in a similar boat right now where I'm like, okay, I'm like feeling a little frustrated with copywriting and I think I'm just going to write some personal pieces and let's see how this goes. <laughs> I think that's great. Maybe you can listen to grit while you do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's such I love a great it. idea. So like someday, someday then we can get like 
the Becky memoir a la David Sedaris and have you like <laughs> he is one honestly honestly Lauren he's like one of my favorite authors and sometimes I think like just the weirdest shit happens in my life and I'm like I really need to like start writing this down like spinning it you know with my humor and like eventually turn this into a book because that's exactly what he did it was just like you know random things happening his family you know with his partner like his traveling just even just like mundane you know everyday stuff like he just somehow finds the humor in it and I'm like yeah okay so Lauren when you die (laughs) (laughs) I know a little bit morbid but (laughs) it is what it is um what do you want to be known for I have two things I want to be remembered for really all of the personal connections and experiences that I had with people. I want people to connect with themselves and each other. And, you know, I do that through art, through making a beautiful piece of music that, you know, elicits a certain feeling for you or creating an opportunity for you to make your own thing with others or on your own. Yeah, I just really, I want my thumbprint on that. And I do hope that, you know, I mean, all, all things will, will pass eventually, but I hope that my pieces will live for a little while after I no longer walk this earth. Yeah, my, I don't really care about making any money off of them after I die. I just, I just want them to be loved and enjoyed and set them free. <laughs> But what if you could use the money in the afterlife? Like, would you care a little bit more? (laughs) (laughs) What if you could take take it with you? I I probably will just start another business in the next one. Okay. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of time, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us. Um, Thanks for inviting me. Your website and maybe like your Facebook page for your studio. Sure. Yeah. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, yeah. I just hope that you guys will listen and explore. There are lots of, I make lots of things. So I hope <laughs> that you find something you like. Thank you. And Becky, if listeners want to write into us, how can they find us? <laughs> it's just so funny because I always forget the email until the very last second. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> it's we just like to talk at gmail.com I say this all the time but Cara is the one that checks it I cannot take any credit for that I'm not a multi passionate email person you know like I have one email and that's it and I'm like trying to have another business email you can cut that out or you can actually you can keep it in <laughs> see the real behind the scenes <laughs> Where else can people find us? Um, You can also check out our Facebook page. We just like to talk. You can also follow me on Instagram if you want, because I do post (laughs) about our podcast. I love it. Becky underscore Scotty. Wait, I hope that's it. It's it's just Becky Scotty. Oops. Oh, my God. (laughs) You can also... (laughs) And Lauren, I'll also just say you have the distinction of being a guest for us on our 50th episode of We Just Like to Talk. <gasps> Woo! Wow! I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been a good journey. Congrats on your, your milestone. 
Here's to 50 episodes, Becky, and here's to 50 more. Woo! Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>